0: Hey, Joe. Hey, Scott. <laughs>
1: Roll out the bones and, and raise up the pitcher. Yeah, that's right. To episode four.
0: Yes.
1: Of Reeling in the Dan.
0: Yeah. Whee! Ow! How, uh, are, how, how are all the wild animals out there doing <laughs> in <radio> Land? <laughs> Untamed animals. Yeah. Um, welcome yeah. back. We're, we're here to dive once again into the dark heart of the dark art of Steely Dan. That's right. There's no defense. Yeah. You can, uh, you can tell uh, uh, Mad-Eye Moody to pack it up. Yeah, it's Harry
1: Potter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there's no point. Yeah. Uh, there's no defense against the Dan.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Um, um, cool. Yeah. We're here this week to talk about uh, uh, track three off of Can't Buy a Thrill, uh, Kings. Uh, we just gave it a spin here in the uh, Oregon Hill Studios. Uh, that's right. Uh, Producer Dakota, uh, I'm going to uh, wager that this is your first time hearing this song ever.
0: Very, very first time. Uh, thoughts? It's my favorite one we
1: listened to so far. Ooh! I that one like had a cool groove and a bunch of fun little things that at first I thought were really obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> like too many flourishes. <laughs> back. We'll, pull back the flourishes. Yeah. Um. They will the end not.
0: Of this song, I was there for all of them. Cool. You do you think you'll listen to this one again? I will check this one out in between this and the next podcast. Ooh! You. All right.
1: Cool. Talk. Yeah uh that's a uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna claim
0: that as a big vote for my uh starter pack because kings did make my uh steely dan starter pack yeah that's right the, that's uh it's a song that i would have not thought of as like a signature steely dan track but yeah the more the more time i've spent with it it's a grower and a shower and a shower yeah. yeah it's a it's, it's a, a total package five tool player it's a hell of a song
1: cool uh, um, yeah, I like the um, the framing that we've worked out in previous episodes. Uh, um, the like delineating three phases: like your casual Dan phase, your um, your phase where you decided you were a Steely Dan fan, and mm-hmm. then now our uh, what we called last week the studious Dan phase, like yes. uh, approaching the song uh, analytically for the purposes of podcasting. So, uh, Joe, uh, uh, I, I think this one's going to go quicker because this wasn't a radio single, but. Yeah, uh, uh yeah. How, how, did, how did the song carry through your phases of Dandam?
0: Uh Well, Can't Buy a Thrill, I think, was the first uh, Steely Dan album that I listened to front to back. I yeah. started at the beginning, which is rare for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew Do It Again. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, maybe I didn't know Dirty Work, but I was like, oh, this is... I should have heard this before. Right. And, and Kings was then... The first track where I was like, Oh wait, the non radio stuff is good too. This right. is But it's not a song that if somebody was like Uh what what are the hot tracks from that album? I wouldn't I wouldn't think to throw that one out. At, yeah. Um But yeah, what where did uh where did you first first hear it
1: yeah similar um well so and i think we we talked about on one of the previous episodes the the first album i listened to a lot was gaucho sort of by Mm -hmm. accident Um, i stumbled upon it um so i spent a lot of time with that one and then um uh was you know sort of like floating uh through the world um knowing a little bit about steely dan but not a ton um and then when i decided like the the entrance for me into saying like now i am a steely dan fan uh, i actually just went ahead and got um the citizen steely dan the collection that collects everything from can't buy a thrill to uh, gaucho like all their records from the 70s basically Mm -hmm. stops in 80 um and so that's the first time that i heard kings and for a long time i would just play that whole thing on shuffle um so i didn't really have a sense of albums um but i remember and then eventually i started playing it through like just in order um and kings was always one that like would always stick in my brain a little bit. Like, not so much that I ever, like, went back and sought it out. But, like, every time it came on, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> like, even among, like, the whole Steely Dan catalog for some... It was... It, it, I don't know. I think there's something even among the Steely Dan catalog that's unique about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, do, you, do you know what, like, kind of the element of it was that, that made it stick out to you?
1: It's very... Yeah, I was trying to, like, put um, language to this as I was thinking about it today. It's very, like, driving. Um, yeah. It's, like, anthemic.
0: Yeah, I thought galloping a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's maybe the right word. I mean, that's, I guess, part of the challenge of the show is like, (laughs) how do you talk about music? Yeah. (laughs) Which is...
1: If uh, only you could study it. If only people had language and... Analyses about music that you could consume and then be <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah but um yeah but it's some it's something it's it's yeah it's it, galloping is a good word um it i mean you know so uh and we, um maybe this is a good point to just like you know do a brief like run through of the song it's it's another one that's pretty straightforward pretty on the nose i mean i guess you could read all kinds of things into it if you want to um but the the story is basically the story of richard the lionheart and and king john following him richard the crusader who uh won theoretically i guess a lot of glory for england but then sort of ran the country into the ground through either neglect or mismanagement uh and in the meantime his uh brother um john was like uh doing nefarious things and running out of the country and coming back and trying to take it over um uh, but the song really is just um i guess it's not uh what it's not sarcastic but it's like it's it's not celebratory
0: yeah it's it's about celebrating the death of a a his, uh, somebody who is the legend is not close to the reality
1: right um, and, yeah, we accused, you know, we said one of the problems we had with Dirty Week, uh, Dirty Work last week was the, the character of, uh, the character in Dirty Work, the narrator, um, is, like, not resigned. Like, they hasn't, like, accepted, is not, like, sort of bathing in the pathos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, you know, this is more of a piece with the rest of Steely Dance Catalog where it's like, no, no, this is how it is. This is, the, like, the way the world works. Right. We have these charismatic leaders that, you know, fall short. Mm-hmm um but it's but it's also not just like straight up bashing either it's sort of like it, i mean it's it, to me i like it reads as like this is the way of the world we have these charismatic leaders but they have their faults
0: yeah like kind of this um history as this cycle of like oh this, this great man has died oh what a what a let's let's venerate him and then um also recognizing Oh, that guy was kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> we, you know, things didn't actually get better for us; they got worse for us right. under his rule. But hey, there's this other guy coming along. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll be different. Right. And of course, in this song, King John, uh, I did a little Wikipedia <laughs> research because yeah. I don't know shit about 12th century English history. Likewise, um, uh, King John is like kind of seen as a villainous character mm-hmm. in the in the culture at the time and, and afterwards he's not a um he's not a heroic king like his like his brother was right. i think he lost huge amounts of normandy and france to to uh, king philip II second of i wrote this down somewhere i believe you um king philip II second of france that's what the first paragraph on wikipedia <laughs> told me the internet science page yeah yeah
1: um. Yeah. So. Um. So that's the that's the song we talked about. Like. You know. Sort of like uh, becoming aware of it. Um. So has anything. Uh, any. Any. Uh, dramatic changes about your feeling as a song, or, or
0: or revelations now having sort of like studied it for a while. I. You know. I. I don't. I kind of think of it as the first song of the album in a way. Okay. Where. The, where the. F- and i that kind of goes against what you were saying about it being unique in the catalog but um the first two tracks as we discussed are kind of outliers in a way or mm-hmm. they're they're i mean do it again is um is a classic steely dan song but with the rest of the album i mean there's some latin grooves and other songs but it kind of sticks out a little bit there's definitely no more electric sitar yeah um and then dirty work is maybe the biggest outlier in the early Steely Dan catalog. Yeah. And this kind of feels of a piece to me with the rest of the stuff on the album. Mm-hmm. This is where the album gets rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought a lot about, cause in the liner notes for this song, it says no political significance.
1: Right, we should say this, 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 the album was released in 73, so... Uh, yeah. Or
0: uh, late 72, maybe. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But like, yeah, so some of the singles dropped in 73, that's right, yeah. The album comes out in 72, so a lot of people saying like, oh, this is about Vietnam, and they and, tried uh, to head that off of the past.
0: Yeah, and, and Richard Nixon. Uh, right. But I was like looking into what was happening at Vietnam at the time, um, and I don't, I think they may be serious about No Political Significance, Yeah, other than kind of talking about that um the way of history uh raising up leaders who aren't wor- worthy of our respect um yeah
1: cuz i don't think like I i i don't think that they they don't strike me as republican leading individuals i was like the only <clears throat> people that could maybe you know say like richard the lionheart richard nixon similar you're like no like i don't yeah. think even the republicans of that time would have said I mean, it's yeah. like sure he was in the navy but like
0: yeah i- get, I guess the the connection could be okay they uh, Richard's at the Crusades right. while the homeland falls apart, and Nixon uh, fails to get us out of Vietnam like he promised and um, yeah foolish ideologically driven yeah, and and the the economics at the time in the country were, I mean, they were rough under Johnson, and they didn't get much better under Nixon. Right. Um, but you say something has no political significance, and you're a smartass like them, like right. That's almost like cha- that's a challenge. That's right. a provocation. And there, it, the more I thought about it, there there are other songs on the album that definitely have. Uh, Political themes. Only a fool would say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire in the hole. Change of the guard. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Um, what's the last track? Oh uh, my gosh,
1: you're killing me. Um,
0: <laughs> turn that. Yeah, yeah. Hard turn that on heartbeat
1: over again. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I don't. The reason I say possibly that song is because they're Yeah. I need to dive into those lyrics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a strange one. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll get there yeah but the, but this to me it like kicks off the the album proper. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, here are some kind of singly cuts, um even though uh they're kind of odd singly cuts now this is the now we're into the meat of the album, I feel like,
1: yeah, and also the first non radio single, so like maybe even just sort of like structurally true, it's like, oh, here's two for the radio and then here's the album right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think similarly, like, my feelings didn't really change. Like, no great revelations about the song. Just sort of, like, you know, appreciating more technical details and stuff like that in terms of, like, what's happened in the in the past couple of weeks that we've been laying into this song heavy. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, it's sort of, like, it was a song that caught my ear that I liked, and I continue to, to like
0: it. I, I, okay. If I'm remembering correctly, you called it the uh, Oh, thank you. Their Elton John song. Yeah,
1: I really like this game. I like having these games, and I like this game of like uh, what, like uh, I like saying that each Steely Dan song is the best song that some other band never wrote, and this is the best song that Elton John never wrote.
0: Is that just the? I want to tease it out a little bit. Yeah. Is is that just because it's kind of piano led or?
1: I mean, yeah, that's part of it. And then also, um, it's, it's a very strong vocal delivery. Um, yeah. and, and like, you know, it would certainly the first one that we've come on, uh, to the, uh, the first sort of like assertive Donald Fagan vocal. Yeah. Like he's much more muted on do it again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, um, yeah, like the, I mean, the, none of this is uncommon for Steely Dan, but like the background singers. Yeah. Um, but, and, and then something about that, like driving galloping, um, uh, uh, sound feel of the song I think that just calls to mind uh, Elton John for me too I don't know there's an Elton John song that I really love um, <laughs> that I found um, from the Elizabeth Town soundtrack um, <laughs> but I'd never been aware of this <laughs> I know uh,
0: <laughs>
1: uh, treasures buried in, in weird places but um, well it was a Cameron Crowe movie I mean, the one thing you can say about Cameron Crowe is good soundtracks Um uh, but yeah, there's Ellen John song I'd never heard until I uh, saw *Elizabeth Town*, and it's called um, um, *My Father's Gun*. Um, from this day on, I own my father's gun, and it's a Civil War song. Um, uh, and uh, that song really great, and it, it, it it's like it it feels like this song, and it's also like historical. Um, uh, so yeah, I, it could just be that like you know my favorite Ellen John song is *My Father's Gun*, which is a historical piano driven,
0: uh, anthemic thing. And this is also. So, did he write it for Elizabeth Town, or this is something Cameron Crowe picked up? Something picked up. No, this is okay. off of Tumbleweed Connection. It's from, also from
1: the 70s. It's okay. one of his, um, who was his big songwriting partner?
0: Uh, Bernard? Yeah, Toppin. Something. Yeah.
1: Turpin, Toppin,
0: something. Uh,
1: yeah, something like that. Yeah, Bernie Toppin. I've know. never
0: I've never been an Elton John guy, really, I, other than.
1: Not like Superfan. Some, super str- some straight tracks. I, yeah, not where I've done a bunch of research, but there's a couple of songs of his that, right. I, that yeah.
0: I really like. Anyway. Yeah. I'll check it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, best uh, best Elton John song. And to recap, would we say we said uh, "Dirty Work" was the best? Um, oh man, well I, I wanted to say Eagles, but that's not quite right. It's it's not good enough to be an Eagles song. Yeah. And I'd say that as somebody who has the common feelings about the Eagles. I mean, it's it's their AM gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their yeah. That line that we had out of the review, the um, three dog night doing a Todd Rundgren song. That's like oh yeah yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: What what review was that? That
1: was the guy on All Music. Okay, go saying, back and shit, listen to did that. Did we come so. up with that?
0: <laughs> no, no, good. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, uh, but yeah, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, do it again. Was you had the
0: best take on that one? The, uh, the, the, the best Santana. song
1: Santana ever wrote. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, do we want to talk about I'm in mean, to shine a little bit? <laughs> oh yeah, th- yeah, yeah, because um, uh
1: it was, it was, like, I'm, I, I uh, fancy myself a language nerd, so sometimes some of these lines um, stick out to me, and one of them is, yeah, uh, this, this line, he meant to shine till the end of the line, and then I think later in the song they say, we meant to shine till the end of the line. Uh, but yeah, like I was like, that must be a reference to something, but apparently it's just a reference to Donald Fagan, because he did use that language before. He wrote a song for Barbara Streisand back when they were still just trying to be singer-songwriters. He wrote a song for Barbra Streisand called I Mean to Shine.
0: And, and did you did you go and listen to the song? Yeah. I, I did too. Um, <laughs> it's maybe it blows my mind that they wrote it because right. it is super saccharine about like recognizing your potential and like it's. The corniest like language kind of possible.
1: Yeah, if you if you're wondering like, oh, did Barbra Streisand record a cool song? No, like this is the, yeah. this is a Barbra Streisand song.
0: Yeah, and but apparently, them writing that song, the royalties from it, they gave directly to their. Um, their previous manager, hmm. and that freed them from their contract. Oh, so it's the best thing they ever did. <laughs> yeah. That, it, it, without that song, we wouldn't have. There'd be no Steely Dan. The Steely Dan we have today.
1: Yeah, and that song is like all the. It's proof positive that at some point they aspired to be Tin Pan Alley songwriters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it is. There, There is a reference, sort of, to Kings in the song. I wrote these lyrics down. Okay. This, this will give you a little taste of how <laughs> saccharine the song is. Yeah. This day I realized the world I knew is gone. New seasons come and change the crown that stood upon. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I guess that is somewhat in line with this idea of uh, a regime change a right. little bit. Um,
1: yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, like, go listen to the song, give it a spin. I mean, we've all got Spotify. It's not like you got to go buy the record. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, like if you're tr- trying to picture this song, like it sounds like that song. Um, that that song that they used in the Coke commercial that was like in the finale of Mad Men. Yeah. It's um, very... I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very like um, 70s, like uh, We Are the World. I mean, We Are the World was later, but... Yeah.
0: The, a, a sentiment that they... <laughs> 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 you would not catch them expressing in their own work. Yeah, yet, exactly. Except, except very snidely out of a character who probably is going to uh, have the toilet of life flush them pretty soon.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so so musically we we talk a lot about it. Um, uh, the, the thematically, like I think like the, the the super obvious thing is like there's a lot of like rising and descending musical lines, mm-hmm. like the guitar solo and even some of the inner like the the lines of the verse and stuff.
0: When we were just listening to it now, it struck me that the the guitar the entire time Elliot Randall does who did the uh, the lead guitar and the in the solo for Reelin' in the Years mm-hmm. uh, guests on this track and. It's like the whole time he's just waiting for that solo. You can kinda of hear him like yeah. these little little teasers. Yeah th- and then he rips it out. that's um, it's a great solo.
1: Yeah, I was taking little notes just as we were spending it now, and it's like this is the first time that I like took note of um, there's like as like it's building up to the chorus each time, he's like he's he's like playing these chords and then like muting them and unmuting them. So it's like rah, 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 rah. And it's like it sounds like he's like just chomping at the
0: bit. Yeah. I like how the, the the way it opens, it's kind of a little menacing and dramatic, and the, the verses kind of have that to them. And then when you get to the chorus, it's like, it's a party. It's a yeah. bop. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the bongos come out. And yeah, it's an Irish The backup. The, the, yeah. I mean, exactly. it's not
1: Irish, but I, in, in spirit, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I love the, my favorite line is probably roll out the bones and raise up your pitchers. Yep. The idea of like, okay, we're going to celebrate the death of this guy, like, the, the the double entendre of roll out the bones whether, mm. whether you're playing dice or actually throwing his bones out is is uh I mean that really underlines the irony of the song right there yeah
1: and also apparently like, this is, like the one little piece of internet uh, research that I did was like also historically accurate because like in the uh, you know when you would uh, lay a body in in state um, you know like a king or you know some member of royalty they would like clean all the flesh off the bones because they didn't have a way in, I mean, obviously the Egyptians had figured this out a long time ago, but the, in Western Europe, there was no way to preserve the body with the flesh on it. So like they would strip it down to the, you would literally roll out the bones oh, wow. when you were like laying a body in state.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. so, so yeah, historically accurate. Um, yeah, I love the guitar tone, LA Ramps guitar tone. Like, this is where like my, um, actual musicians are going to go nuts. I, I'm going to say it sounds like a Stratocaster, but like it sounds yeah. like just like a very clean, <laughs> Resonant it sounded
0: like a guitar. To me. I don't <laughs> yeah.
1: know. It's definitely like the, the, the thing is like guitar nerds are going nuts because like it's, it's very distinctive and it's like people who know, know immediately like, oh, that's definitely a Stratocaster, but it could also definitely be a Telecaster, but I think it's a Stratocaster. But anyway, um, but yeah, lo- love that guitar tone. And then like, yeah, I didn't even realize that like same guy for this and reeling in the years. And it's like, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got like a signature tone. Um, I love the like psychedelic organ. Um, yeah,
0: that. <laughs> Maybe we can, can we cut that in? <laughs> yeah, cut in the.
1: Yeah, and then the only other thing I noticed we were just listening to it the last time that they do the um, he meant to shine till the end of the line. This is the first time that I noticed um, a thing that I have now that we're in our studious Steely Dan era. I've started noticing like in a lot of their songs they do a hesitation. Um, so they do um, he meant to shine to the end of the line yeah take a beat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um uh, this is this i think it, chronologically this is the first like classic steely dan hesitation that you
0: get mm. um but yeah kings good song yeah good good track uh I, yeah like i said a grower
1: yeah 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 it's one that, it's one that uh, like uh sneaks out of the woodwork and then uh it warms its way into your heart yeah Cool. Um, We did not discuss prior to this um, whose movie we were going to go with first. And even if we said chronologically, I'm not sure who would be first.
0: (laughs) I I think King of New York came out in 90 and uh, Robin Hood came out in 91. Yeah. But I feel like Robin Hood's maybe more aligned with uh, the the. Yeah, song. So let's start. With, let's start with Robin
1: Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991. Um, this was like honestly, like when I was thinking about this, like I was literally I was hanging out with some friends and I was like, I don't know what song I'm gonna pick for Kings. I mean, I love the song, but I just I can't think like what movie. I was like, what do you, you just do like Lion in Winter or something? I was like, you're not just gonna do Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And my buddy was like, why don't you do Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? And I started thinking about. it. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> um, and it, I mean, it's yeah, it's obviously it's like super on the nose, um, uh, but yeah. So Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991, starring Kevin Costner as uh you know maybe the the biggest mythical english figure of all time at, at
0: the peak of his stardom too. right at right this right point.
1: yeah sorry. um and uh but uh, starring kevin costner uh, morgan freeman um uh, uh mary elizabeth,
0: elizabeth master yeah. yeah um um uh uh, uh, uh,
1: uh christian slater yeah um uh, uh, and, and, like, a, a fairly uh, impressive uh, slate of actors. Oh, we—we we, I teased this last week. Brian Blessed, who, if you're not familiar with Brian Blessed, he's, like, a, a delightful English uh, actor character. Came up in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, he's in it for a hot second as, uh, as Robin's dad um, uh, in the very opening of the movie. And, um, yeah, it is the Robin Hood story. There's, like, some slight—this is, like— I guess, like, this is to Robin Hood what um, Tim Burton's Batman was to Batman. It was like, oh, this is the dark real version. Although, like, by today's standards, that seems absurd. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, before this, all we'd ever had was Errol Flynn and the Disney one. You know? And, like, a couple other Robin Hood movies. But they were all in that vein. It was like a guy in, like, bright green tights sort of bouncing around the forest and singing. Mm. And this was like, no, this is real. Uh, we're going to, like, show the crusades. And uh, um, uh, and, uh, and and Robin's going to be, like, grounded and pensive and moody and... Uh, um I mean and uh yeah but and then uh, the other thing like I, I didn't do a ton of um, uh, half ass internet research on this, but um uh the other like I think shift from this to uh, from other Robin Hood movies is um the big bad in this is uh, first of all Alan Rickman, uh, which is another great reason to watch this movie Alan Rickman just in full Alan Rickman mode um, uh, but he plays the sheriff of Nottingham, who's always in the story, but usually the sheriff of nottingham is the is the um, uh, the right hand man to Prince John, uh, and in this movie there is no Prince John. Um, I don't think even alluded to. He's yeah, cer- yeah. Not, he's it, it's, it's certainly not in the movie, like featured in the movie. And I don't think he's even alluded to. It's just sh- the sheriff of Nottingham is the guy that's plotting to take over the kingdom from Richard the Lionheart while uh,
0: um, while Richard's off fighting the Crusades. Right. I, I had a I had an interesting experience while I was watching this where I realized that my familiarity with the Robin Hood myth. <laughs> is is based on, I guess I saw Robin Hood Men in Tights at some point on Comedy Central when I was younger. Don't yeah. remember it at all. I was in a play in high school called Robin Hood, The Next Generation. <laughs> that was a comedic children's version of Robin Hood. Cool. And that was like... I realized, like, I knew some of the characters' names. I know that Robin Hood steals from the rich and gives to the poor. Yeah, and that's all I really knew. Right. So there was shit in this movie where I was like, I'm not sure if this is canon or not. Right. Like Morgan Freeman's character, uh, Azeem.
1: Yeah, I think that's the first time. i, I I'm, I'm not. I'm pretty like I, I didn't like go back and watch all these to check them, but yeah, there's definitely nothing like that in the Disney Robin Hood. I don't think there's a, a Moorish character in the. Um, uh, Errol Flynn one. So yeah. I think this was like part of that, like, oh, we're going to ground it.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, the this, this stuff where uh, Will Scarlet is right uh, secretly uh, Robin Hood's brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you watch the extended cut?
1: <laughs> uh, I think that, that was the only one I could find. Okay. I, I tried to find, like, I yeah, just sort of like, I was like, if I'm going to have a rule for myself, it's going to be the theatrical cut if I can find it. Um, but I couldn't find a theatrical cut. Yeah. Like everything, it was like there was I there was a special edition and an extended cut, and they were like one was three minutes longer than the other. So I was like,
0: probably had the uh, the song, the music video. <laughs> oh right, for, um, yeah, Brian Adams song. Yeah, the Brian Adams song. Maybe yeah. we could pipe that into for a second. <laughs> Sorry guys.
1: Yeah, we well. we will not use our full thirty seconds of <laughs> fair use to to sample that Brian Adams song. What is it called again? Um. Oh my gosh. I always, the first thing that comes to mind is that meat love song. I would do anything for love. Uh, but it's, um, oh my gosh. The one for three Musketeers, it was, have you ever really loved a woman? Um, no, that? no. For three Musketeers, it was the one he did with, um, Rod Stewart and sting, which was, uh, all for one and all for love.
0: Uh, but that's not something I, <laughs> I, I know about.
1: <laughs> um, um yeah, they play, it, they play it over the end credits. My God, it's. I mean, it's a Brian Adams song. It's just a sappy song about love.
0: I'll say that I um, immediately turned this, the movie off as soon <laughs> as the credits started. Um, so I, it was only in doing research after that I realized that this song, which is called yeah. Everything I Do, I yeah. Do It For You yeah. by Brian Adams. You heard it 5,000 times if you had a radio in, in the radio. I think if I had seen that, the, the disgust after <laughs> watching the movie uh, would have been too much. Yeah. But the, the reason I asked about the extended cut was mm. apparently what was added is the stuff where Alan Rickman. Right. It's oh, revealed yeah. that his he's the witch's son. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if the witch thing was in the original myths. It seems like it could be. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I, I, I don't. I don't have any memory of there being like a witch that. Uh, that uh, is, you know, part of the machinations of the, of the dark forces. But um, yeah, that seems like almost like they were trying to tie in a little bit of like, they were trying to bring in a little bit of uh, King Arthur.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But, uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think this, my, not being a scholar of this uh, my read of it was that like they followed all of the typical beats of the Robin Hood story and then added a couple of things they added Azim, they added um, w- the little brother reveal yeah. um, they added uh, the witch um, they cut Prince John for some reason um, yeah but yeah um, I also like the, the one thing I did learn in my half-assed internet research is like there is no authoritative text for Robin Hood there is no ur text it's like literally an oral tradition right yeah
0: yeah. Well, what did you... Had you seen... You I you saw the movie before. Was, were you young when you saw it?
1: Yeah, I think we saw it... I mean, if we didn't see it in the theaters, we saw it on HBO or something, like, shortly after um, it came out. And, like, what came back to me watching the movie was how huge that movie was. It was, like... In my, I mean, again, I was 10 at the time, but it was, like, the biggest movie in the world. Like you said, like, Kevin Costner had been on this incredible run.
0: He, ju- he had just won an Oscar for Dances, Dances with Wolves. Wolves um, and, which he directed also. So. Right,
1: yeah, and it won seven Academy Awards, which was record-breaking at the time, and, like, now is famously remembered as the movie that snubbed uh, Goodfellas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, and then prior to that, he had done, um, uh, you know, he had been on this incredible run of, like, Bull Durham to... Um, uh, the Field of Dreams.
0: Uh, yeah, the Untouchables before right. that. I don't know if that was a hit or not, but it's definitely a staple in my house right. growing up. Um,
1: yeah, so it was—it was just the hugest movie in the world, and then like that—that that shot. Um the you know, the shot that every robin hood movie has to have where he shoots the arrow yeah. and it splits another arrow in two <laughs> um which like in every other robin hood story is usually at a pivotal um <laughs> the, the typical story is um that he has to win an archery he has to like sneak into a, an archery contest and win mm-hmm. it to free freeman marion and in this case it's just like it's part of like a training montage right uh he's trying to like whip these uh uh uh, um, Sherwood Forest uh, uh, farmers into shape. Yeah, um, here's Merry Men. Yeah, and uh, and he's like demonstrating his skill, and he does that shot. But like, there's this crazy shot uh, where like the, the clearly like they mounted the arrow to the camera, and then just like dollied into the tree, and then sped up the film. But like I rem- like that shot is burned into my brain. Like mm. like it, it like lit up so many memory centers in my brain because it was like everywhere on TV, and it was just like it's just I, I like I was. I was like, uh, 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 like blew my mind remembering how big that movie was when it came out.
0: Yeah, it it was something I had never seen before. Yeah, um, but I heard the score and I was like, I know this score somehow. Right. Like, and then the uh, another arrow shot towards the end of the movie where he shoots that flaming arrow. Right. I was like this shot is somehow iconic. I know this shot. Maybe it's the cover of the movie.
1: It is, but I had the same feeling because it's Azeem shoots the flaming arrow into the barrel. So there's a huge explosion behind him. Yeah. And then he shoots an arrow to try to break the noose to free
0: uh, Will Scarlet. Yeah, and I was like, how? Yeah,
1: it's burned in your brain, right?"
0: Yeah, and I've never, I've maybe caught a little bit of it on TV. Yeah, um, it seems to me the kind of movie that you watch in snippets on TV, right? Um, especially, it's two and a half hours long. It's yeah. so long, <laughs> it's so long. I had to watch it in two sittings. Like, I, <laughs> no I really struggled with this movie. No a lot. shame, no lemonade. Yeah, um, I did. Did it hold up for you? Like, did you oh. enjoy it?
1: I mean, yes, I mean, it depends on how you say it. I mean, like, I, you know, I mean, I mean uh, Listeners may not know this But uh, you know I'm a big fan of Point Break And I always say like Listen I get it It's not a great movie But I think it's a great movie mm-hmm. um, And I And I don't feel that way About Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Like I had a lot of fun Watching it It wasn't hard for me To, to sit down and watch it um, I mean it is a little painful How bad Kevin Costner Is in this movie He, uh, he
0: won the uh, The Razzie For Worst yeah, Actor That year um,
1: Totally deserved um, Yeah uh, It's And it You know I mean like no, It's just like I don't know why they did this I don't
0: know whose idea This was that's what hit me i was like what is the impetus behind this because yeah. you you tell a robin hood story um something like that you have to make it for your era mm-hmm. and when until you said like this is like the earthier grittier version of the story like yeah. i really couldn't figure out what the angle was mm-hmm. it was like i almost i wanted it to be political or right even if the politics were backwards and they right. somehow made a reactionary Robin Hood movie, right? Um, really the only modern, update stuff that I could see was that they add this azim character who, mm-hmm. uh, to me, is kind of like a typical uh, Hollywood liberal back-padding. Oh, yeah. Like, we're gonna...
1: He's the token black guy. I mean, it's just...
0: Yeah, and yeah. he... Like, the other characters are like... Racist to him, but he like nobly takes it. Yeah. Never shows pain. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. He's a magic negro. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody around him, like, like, learns, like, oh no, he has his own culture and dignity. Yeah. And it's like, it's pretty painful to watch. Although, Morgan Freeman, it's hard for him not to have gravitas. Yeah. Like, he's always. He always brings something to the role. Um, yeah,
1: he, that was like one of my notes. Is just like Morgan Freeman comes off great in this. Like he's yeah. he's the best. Like uh, sort of like uh, he's like he, it's the best. Uh, a because he's Morgan Freeman. B because the, like you said, it's a it's a magic Negro character. Like it's literally like a flawless character. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he comes off the best in terms of like
0: uh, he comes off with like almost dirt
1: no dirt on him.
0: It's just like wow, good yeah. job, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, uh, I I will say that I, I saw something that apparently. Um, there's a, a book called real bad Ara- a- Arabs, like R E E L. Um, where it talks about, uh, kind of Arab stereotypes in mm. movies. And the guy that wrote that book actually points to this as a positive thing. It, to me, it hasn't aged well. Um, uh, but
1: yeah, I mean, I don't think it reads as like nuanced or realistic or anything. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. but it's like, right. I mean, I could see that guy's point of like, yeah, after, I mean, I remember being like, uh, uh, yeah, I had a, um, a, a friend who, I mean, he was mostly raised in, in, um, in the States, but he would, he was born in Egypt. Um, uh, and I remember, like, um, the Aladdin came up. Disney's Aladdin came up, and, and he was like, "Yeah, we don't really like that movie." And I was like, "What are you and like, dumb dumb white guy me?" I was like, "What are you talking about? Aladdin's delightful." And he's like, "Uh, uh, they cut off their ear despite their face. Uh, it's savage, but hey, it's home." He's like, "It yeah. doesn't really." <laughs> and yeah. I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah." So I could see, like, in that era, like that guy being like, "Listen, this is super on the nose, and uh, and uh, it's like almost a cartoon, but like, thank God somebody is." is saying like oh like people from uh, the Middle East are, are not all bad and, and some of them are good <laughs> Right.
0: yeah yeah um, Yeah. it just uh, it seemed like it really hit its stride for me uh, towards the end when it kind of gets into um, kind of cynically calibrated crowd pleasing moments right. and I was like you know this is it's so uh, the siege that kind of right. ends the movie is pretty well handled mm-hmm. I thought it's a good set piece um, there aren't it, it. The movie moves very swiftly, but mm-hmm. like very few of the set pieces for me landed. Um, yeah, maybe the the fighting with sticks in the water with. um, Oh yeah, with Little John. Yeah, is that is that Little John? Yeah, his yeah, name is yeah. John
1: Little, but yeah, everybody yeah. calls him Little John.
0: And I like I liked the actor that played him too. I don't I don't know who it is. I don't know either, but he's I he's got I wrote a down, good face. For
1: yeah. Him. Well, I wrote down he's a, a poor man's Robert Shaw. uh yeah literally my first note in in my notes is uh better and worse than i remember like the parts that i was like oh that was pretty bad i was like wow that was really bad yeah but yeah i got, I got a lot of mileage, i got a lot of mileage out of my nostalgia mm-hmm. like it for me it was not a painful watch i but i could totally understand how it, like yeah coming at it with no context and no history it's just like what i mean and like i like intellectually i still say that like why did they make this movie
0: yeah i guess maybe kind of an indiana jones yeah uh see kevin costner swinging on ropes and shooting arrows uh, but I really
1: I mean I want want to come back to my notes but this is like it's like beating me in the face this is like my one clever thought about this and like this I, I did not do this math before I suggested this song but I was like or before I suggested this movie in relation to Kings but like then it came to me I was like oh but like Kevin Costner kind of is Richard the Lionheart in real life like he was ascendant Mm. And got so ascendant that we were like, he can do anything. He should direct a movie about the Civil War. And then like after that, everybody was like, hold on. And there's like, no, 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 keep going, Robin Hood. And then we were like, okay, no, it's over. This is terrible.
0: Well, and then he kept going further. <laughs> yeah, in Waterworld and the Postman.
1: Yeah, although you know, I mean, it's funny. Like um, I was talking with a buddy of mine last night. I was like, I, 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 think like the backlash was so heavy at that point that like now I kind of want to stick up for Waterworld and the Postman a little bit. Like oh, yeah. the Postman's boring, but like it. It's not a terrible movie. I have friends that love it. Uh, yeah,
0: and have been talking about doing a screening of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but it,
1: it, but the whole world at that point, like we had realized, like there was all the there was so like exactly like you said, there was so much momentum behind Kevin Costner that like we were already getting nervous after Dances with Wolves. We knew it was bad with Robin Hood, and he, and then he, he made Waterworld, which is a the biggest bomb in history at the time mm-hmm. uh, and then did the postman. Like, yeah. so I was like, yeah, he is like, he was our Richard, uh, the Lionheart for a while. Like,
0: who, Who's the King John?
1: In that <laughs> <case>? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like who's the, uh, it would be like some, like, uh, I don't know, Quentin Tarantino or something, some sort of like, uh, snide, uh, character that like,
0: Oh, I see what you Brings saying. in the darkness. I was like, what? <laughs> undermining all of our good Christian values. Yeah. I, I was thinking like, was trying to think of an actor who's, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. Yeah,
1: yeah, who's, like, a great, like, anti-hero that got famous as being, like, a,
0: you know. I don't know. We'll come back to yeah,
1: that. Yeah, uh, Dakota's going to cut all this out. We're going to look super smart when we just pull it right away.
0: Yeah. Um, I think JFK came out the same era as Robin Hood. Is that right? So, uh, still, again, like, still, like, like, this was a massive hit, like you said. Uh.
1: And it's like, and I don't think we were that wrong about Kevin Costner. Like, Bull Durham is great. Yeah. Um, Field of Dreams is hokey, but great. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, we, it's just like, the, the the reach, like, the overreach was insane. It's like, no, he should just play all American characters. Why did they make him, like, the the pinnacle English character? Yeah.
0: It's he's so kind, dumb. He's, he's kind of like, um, one of the, uh, several, like, mediocre white guy candidates for president, right? Yeah, now. yeah. It's like, right, yeah. just like, but that guy is an actor. Yeah. And he has, when he plays a baseball player right. or something like that, There's that's what he was put on this earth to do. Yeah. And then somehow, for a time, he was the biggest star in the world. Makes sense. Like no my parents, that, I just thought of Kevin Costner as like, oh, he's my parents' favorite actor. Yeah. Because they had all of his fucking movies. Right. And like... When I was a kid, I didn't watch any of them. So I was like, I don't know who this guy is. He just looks like a dad to me. I don't know.
1: I had the same revelation like a couple of years ago about the Eagles. I mean, like, you know, like the Eagles, Mm. but like, I didn't realize until they did that documentary on Showtime or HBO, whatever it was. I didn't see it. Um, The first one is worth watching. It's fascinating. But like, I didn't realize like the Eagles were literally the biggest band in the world. Right. For like four years. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. I always knew they were around. And I knew they, you know, I knew like their greatest hits was like the best selling record for forever. But like, I was just like, the Eagles, the Eagles were the biggest fan in the world.
0: Who do you think the star is right now that we're going to be looking back on and being like, wait, that was the guy?
1: Uh, Yeah. Who were they pushing way too hard? Like, why is he and everything? I don't know. I mean, like, even the guys that are like bland white guys, like, I. The like Chris they, Pine, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like that's what was coming to mind, like Chris Pine or um, or Captain America, the other Chris, like all the Chrises. Chris Evans, yeah, yeah, all the great Chris's. Um, um, but like ludicrous. none of Chris. <laughs> but it seems like all of them have taken the note from uh, Kevin Costner's career of like, slow your roll. Yeah. Like you said, like Kevin Costner was a great baseball player. If he was playing it safe, he would have just played baseball players. And if you want to say like, give it like, maybe stretch a little bit, then right. do exactly what he did five years later when he started to make his redemption comeback, play a golfer in Tin cup. <laughs> That's great. Hey, you stretched from baseball to golf. That's like about as much stretch as we need from Kevin Costner.
0: I'll go to bat for, it came out a couple of years after this, A Perfect World, the Clint Eastwood movie. Where, I don't know uh, anything about this movie. Oh, it's a it's a beautiful movie. Clint Eastwood made it right after Unforgiven. Kevin okay. Costner kidnaps a little kid um, as part of, I think, like an escape uh, or something. He's, he's a criminal and uh, takes this kid hostage. Yeah. And basically teaches this kid how to be a man. Hmm. And he's kind of like this anti-social, like, Holden Caulfield with a gun. Yeah. And he's being tracked by uh, Laura Dern and Clint Eastwood. Sounds and it's, incredible. It's it's, it's really, uh, really beautifully done. Uh, yeah. I, maybe I'll find a way for us to <laughs> schedule it for the podcast.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to burn through my notes. I didn't take a ton of notes here. Um, Brian Blessed, I said, like, incredible two minutes. uh, uh uh, he's on he's like a bright burning star for like the, the, the brief time he's on uh screen. Uh yeah, I said like again, my fourth note already, and I was like, Kevin Costner for sure the worst part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like there's no shortage of bad things about this movie. He, he
0: just can't hold an accent to save his life. And yeah. apparently I read somewhere would do an accent to uh, piss off the director, basically. <laughs> yeah. And so when they were getting along, he wouldn't force the X. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, I just, we, Yeah. there's got to be, like, a great, like, oral history behind the making of this movie somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I said, uh, the hot topic Satanism is delightful. Oh, um. yeah, yeah. That part was cool. <laughs> it's literally just, like, like s- and they never make it clear, like, what it really is. Like, they never say it's Satanism. There's, like, a goat's head, so it's like, is it paganism? Is it Satanism? It's just, like, this weird, like, a hodgepodge of, like,
0: these are bad things. Yeah. She cracks open, and uh, the witch yeah. cracks open an egg with a bloody...
1: Yeah. And,
0: like, reads the future into it.
1: But yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah, doing like weird scrying and stuff. It's, but it's, it's, it's obviously like somebody did like, like, they, like, nobody did any research. They were just like, what are creepy things? Yeah. What's witchcraft? It
0: feels like when they throw in like creepy stuff for kids yeah. uh, <laughs> into a movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It feels just like a haunted house where it's just like, yeah, there's no story here. It's just like, oh, eyeballs. Oh, yeah. spiders. Yeah. ah Yeah. Um, creepy things. Um, Guy of Grisbane. I meant to, this is like criminal. Like, that guy. Um, the guy who is sheriff of Nottingham, like in every other Robin Hood movie, he would be the sheriff of Nottingham. But because they got rid of Prince John, um, the the, uh, the the sheriff of Nottingham's uh, left hand man is is Guy of Grisbane, his cousin. Um, Do you know the actor who plays? that? No, I, I was like, he's like one of those great like character actors Maybe that was everywhere
0: in the eighties and nineties. Um, I still have the page open from yeah. Brian Adams,
1: uh, but he's great. He's got that like real hoarse voice, and he's just like he was never going to play a good guy in anything because he he's just like. Michael Wincott. Yeah, Michael Wincott. Yeah. yeah. Right up there with like uh, Michael Ironside and uh, like just great like 80s, 90s uh, bad guy, tough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I said somewhat progressive. Marion can fight. Uh, and there's a, a Lady <laughs> Celts. And the Fanny character was kind of like a strong lady. Yeah. Um, although they like uh, they bail on the strong Maid Marion character. They set her up as strong. And then by the end, she's just a damsel. In just really goes.
0: kind of um, cringy, uh, like alan rickman trying to consummate the marriage with like a cartoon rape oh it's 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 brutal brutal. it's It's real bad
1: yeah literally like a cartoony like a slapstick shot of that so bad um this yeah this i can't believe i never thought of this before but i was like watching it and you know it's like right in that middle third where they're um in the in the um in in the forest Mm. and and they build all those tree houses and i was like wait a minute why are they building tree houses? <laughs> why why I never did they thought build, about it? Why, why did they build the the set from Hook? Like
0: <laughs> I think the... basically so kids watch the movie yeah. and go, that looks awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was like to sell Mattel brand Robin Hood Prince of these like Lego sets. Yeah. Yeah, because there's like no
0: <laughs> there's Their no fucking Ewok villains. <laughs>
1: yeah. Why did they build tree houses? Uh, yeah. That's like, that struck me. I was like, wait a minute. Um,
0: How else are you going to get Kevin Costner swinging on a rope? Right. Yeah.
1: Exa- it was like, exactly. It was like, there's literally just so they could do like a couple of shots. Uh, it's like Alan Rickman is a delight. No, no, uh, no surprise there. Um, oh yeah. It was like, they, they, they pushed the religion button a lot, but like not to any great effect. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's like, it was funny, like a lot of the, like the contemporaneous takes at the time were like, well, this movie sure doesn't have a very good opinion about Christianity. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't think this movie cares much about anything. Yeah. Um, uh, I said, yeah, so many cloaks and capes. Um, I said, what is Robin's haircut? Because I don't think it was a popular um, haircut at the time. Yeah. And it wasn't a historical
0: <laughs> haircut. <laughs> it's just got kind of a, it's not even a mullet. It's,
1: it's a bizarre mullet. I mean, it's, it's technically, a
0: mullet that, yeah, the, the front is as unbusiness like as the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, that thing came out of nowhere. Surfer uh, just got out of the water. Look, I don't know what the fuck it is.
1: Yeah, I'm, 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 I mean, there was the obvious one we talked about, like, the um, the uh, the arrow shot, but there were a lot of, like, very dramatic camera moves. Like, there's, mm. like, uh, the camera, like, swings around a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, which I, I thought was interesting. And I, I don't remember that being, like, sort of, like, the, the film style of the
0: time. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's got a couple kind of Sam Raimi moments almost. Right. Especially with Alan Rickman's character yeah. where he's basically like the camera is just like in his face while he's doing his cartoon villainy. Yeah. Um
1: um yeah, even worse than the uh, the the tree the treehouse place um <laughs> um uh Mortiana is that how you say her name Mortiana the the witch yeah the witch uh, I have it written down here so I, I must have known it at a time but yeah Mortiana like her sort of lair in the dungeon <laughs> of the castle what's the green light I was like oh sure it's creepy but I was like what is that like think uh, about it for a second like why is there glowing green light in the fog what's the source of that light like it's just like let's make this look like a haunted house <laughs> it's just like anything every part of this movie it's like think about it for three seconds and you go wait what it's like some candles by some emeralds maybe. <laughs> yeah. i don't know yeah exactly um it's magic yeah I'll ruin it uh yeah oh i wrote down um uh i forget who like one of the guys on our podcast i'm pretty sure it's merlin man yeah merlin man um on is on, i listen to a lot of his podcasts and he's always talking about how merlin he, man yeah merlin man yeah it's a good guy um
0: I don't what I don't
1: know what that is. Oh, I mean so Merlin Mann um he's a, a personality on podcasts. Um he made a name for himself like in the early 2000s um uh, doing a productivity blog. Um okay. he, he was like his his slant was like um productivity with software on a Mac, which was like not a common thing at the time. Um but now he's I mean he's also like a funny guy. Um so like he does a couple like, he does a podcast that's still like theoretically productivity focused, but it's mostly just these two guys hanging out and talking. Um Uh, and, uh, but he, he does a few podcasts now, but most of them are just him being funny. Okay. Um, with like okay. loose frames. Anyway, but he has he he's said several times on several of his podcasts how uh, he thinks the worst job is the TSA agent that has to says like please take your computer out of your bag, uh, no shoes, no belts because like you say the same thing a thousand times and you know like five people and out like five people at, at every ten minutes are gonna do the thing you're saying don't do. Uh, I just I had that, I thought of that uh, when they were doing the siege and there's the guy going no blades, no bows. No blades, no blades. Was like, oh, here's the TSA agent of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, this is the one thing I, I would love. I, we, we need to, <laughs> it, um, <laughs> when we uh, redo this podcast and we, like, produce the shit out of it, um, we're going to bring in an archery expert to tell us uh, if all of the fletching modifications that they did do anything. There's, like, several times, especially, like, and most of them are, like, during the siege on the castle, where he, like, he like bites some of the fletching out of the arrow, like, the, you know, the feathers on mm-hmm. the back. He like, he, he like, one time he, like, licks one of the the f- feathers and sometimes he like takes some of the feathers out and it's like it seems like they're trying to say like oh this way you can like do a spiral or something like that but it's like I just wanted to like talk to an archery expert and be like is there any legitimacy to that or is this like the green lights in Mortiana's dungeon yeah um,
0: does it just look cool <laughs> yeah it's right really exactly so for him
1: because he, he does like that's the one time Kevin Costner looks cool in this movie he like holds like whips that arrow out and like bites out some feathers and then knocks it and uh, rips it off but like I say, yeah again it's another one of those like wait a minute what does that do yeah. Um I've never seen anybody do that in real life. uh a couple more notes uh oh, yeah, Robin Hood and will Scarlet I actually thought that was like an int- like the concept of adding that story beat was kind of interesting of like so the um the story is like Robin's mom died young. Uh, and his dad fell in love with one of the peasant women around the castle. Classic abuse of power. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Robin hated his dad for that because he felt like it was a betrayal for his mom. So, and like Robin was like a snotty little kid. Um, and then, like, it turns out Robin never knew this, but the, the he had a child by that peasant woman, mm-hmm. and that child became Will Scarlet. Um, so, like, for most of the movie, Will Scarlet hates Robin, and Robin doesn't know why.
0: And then it's, like, I thought it was, like, it was a neat idea, and it was, like... And there's a class element to it where, right. you know, the rich boy, he calls yeah. him a spoiled rich boy, yeah.
1: Right. Um, I thought it was a neat idea, except that, like, they just, like... Stretch, you know, it's like they do that setup, and then they stretch that setup for an hour and a half. Again, this is a long movie, yeah. And then the re- long. yeah, the reveal and the reconciliation happen in thirty seconds. Yeah, it's, it's just like, hey, this is what I, this is why I'm mad, and he's like, oh, that sucks. I feel really bad. Cool, now we're tight. They hug, yeah. yeah and I was like, this is literally like an episode of Family Matters.
0: You like, know, you know why I think they put that in there? This would have been right around the big divorce boom. It's mm. for the kids who, <laughs> whose parents got divorced. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you got. Gen X avatar Christian Slater, yeah, uh, as the this the kid who's upset about mom and dad splitting up. Yeah, totally. Or in this case, mom dies, but right. same principle. But it's just like I, they, 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 <laughs> not they, really. They could have
1: done that like so much, like so much, just better, like with yeah. more taste. It was just like uh, it was a, like I thought it was an interesting dynamic, but it was just like just badly used, like yeah, just badly yeah. paced. Um, uh, uh, I I wrote down oh when like when the sheriff finally gets it in the end like I I just wrote down is this a dagger I see before me because he does this very dramatic sort of like eh, yeah. uh, like hands like uh, gesturing toward this uh, dagger that's for, sticking for the people return, who so. can't
0: see you know, <laughs> there in Radio Land what Scott is doing in the room
1: yeah well just go watch the movie like just skip to the end and watch or Alan Rickman or... do it
0: or skip it. <laughs>
1: Uh, but then of course the great reveal the t- the actual literal tie into the song we get to see Richard the Lionheart who oh, is yeah. none other than Sean Connery <laughs> yes uh, and they actually I think they actually like my memory of this is they actually did a pretty good job of keeping that a secret I mean it's clear like in the movie like he, you hear his voice and then like they frame it so that like stuff is blocking him and it's a dramatic reveal in the movie and I like my memory in the time like of the real world was like because he's not in the credits he's not in the opening credits or anything mm-hmm. I think they did a good job of like actually keeping that a secret like, yeah, like my a memory true is true cameo yeah I did not know that until I, until I saw the movie, uh, yeah, and then I wrote yeah, Brian Adams.
0: Everything I do, terrible. I think the only thing that I would add is that I read that Alan Rickman thought the script was garbage. <laughs> they offered him the role twice, <laughs> and he only agreed to do it when they were like, "We'll give you free reign You can do whatever you want." Oh wow! And there was apparently the rumors are that Kevin Costner started to feel upstaged by Alan Rickman, who was Im- <sighs> improvising on set and just kind of hamming it up yeah um can't imagine why you'd feel that way and uh was was like basically trying to like cut stuff with him in it and uh, <laughs> undermine alan rickman yeah. which uh, i think is funny I like it when an actor is given free reign like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's doing like, uh, he's, Alan Rickman showed up on set and was like, you think Hans Gruber was over the top? Let me show you over the top.
0: Yeah, I mostly, like, I didn't find him menacing at all and kind of was annoyed by the performance, but uh, I like that he was at least having fun.
1: Yeah, I read uh, Roger Ebert's review, like, from the time, and he was like, Alan Rickman is in a different movie. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. He Um, he was making up that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah,
1: that's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Uh if you saw it when you were very young, uh go back and 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 you haven't seen it in a long time, go back and watch it. You might have fun. If you've never seen it, um stay in your blissful ignorance.
0: Yeah, unless you're a huge Kevin Costner fan. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think even then. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it might it might turn you. Yeah. He's pretty bad. Um Yeah,
1: he's really bad in this movie. And again, I am I consider myself a Kevin Costner fan.
0: Yeah. I you know, he's got his moments. Yeah right
1: yeah he's just like yeah there are things he's good for mm-hmm. and he should do those things and those things do not include english period dramas
0: yeah. um all right well i guess we'll move then to to my pick yeah. uh, abel ferrara's 1990 gangster movie king of new york um starring christopher walken mm-hmm. speaking of an actor who is given free reign in the movie um As Frank White, uh, he's a drug lord that in the beginning of the movie is getting out of Sing Sing and uh, immediately goes about trying to become the most powerful man in New York. He's not content to merely be on top of the drug game. Mm -hmm. He says to his lawyers, I want to be mayor of New York. Yeah. And uh, he's like this weird dreamer of a gangster. Mm -hmm. Um, He's he's kind of a Robin Hood figure, Mm -hmm. um, very much into his like main project in the movie is opening a hospital in the South Bronx and funding that mm-hmm. or keeping a hospital open in the South Bronx, yeah. like a poor neighborhood. And he basically becomes sort of involved in politics to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's funding this by basically knocking off every rival uh, gangster. He has his own band of merry men, um, mm-hmm. a multiracial cast of uh, of gangsters, most notably Lawrence Fishburne yep. as uh, is it Jimmy Jump? Yeah, Jimmy Jump. And uh, Steve Buscemi has a small part as a guy named Test Tube. Yeah, which I love. Um, and uh, Giancarlo Esposito is another big member yeah, of their yeah. that crew. Yeah. Uh, Gus Fring from uh, Breaking Bad, for yeah. those in know. Um, and uh, of course, there are cops on his trail. Uh, a trio of cops: uh, Victor Argo, a great kind of character actor, kind of the. Uh, by the book cop or mm-hmm. more by the book. Yep. And then you have David Caruso and Wesley Snipes that dynamic duo yeah, as the um uh as the loose cannons, yeah. hotheads, um
1: out for justice, like they're not corrupt or anything.
0: Yeah, they're they're They don't play
1: by the rules. Oh yeah, but they they're definitely not corrupt.
0: yeah, they eventually uh They're vigilante cops. Yeah, but. they eventually pose as, as a rival drug gang in, in one of the movies craziest set pieces. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I think that covers what it's about. It's mm-hmm. a movie where the plot really doesn't matter. Right. Um, really, the most important thing, above all, is Christopher Walken. Yeah, <laughs> and his just otherworldly uh, performance in the movie. Um,
1: yeah, one of the things that struck me is like how much of the plot is implied. Right. Like I realized at the end, like everybody, like his whole Robin Hood thing. It's like, oh, everybody loves him. But then you're like, wait, why does everybody love him? And you're just like, that's all before the movie. Mm-hmm. It just just assume it. Yeah. And then like the cops, it's like, yeah, what is the cops' motivation? It's like just assume it. You know what they are? They're the they're the antagonists. They're the they're the opposing force. Right. Just assume it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, what exactly? I mean, they did they do specifically mention the hospital thing, but it's like other than that, it's like, what exactly is the mission? So it's like just assume it. Like
0: yeah. yeah. And th- there are things that are just illustrated in these um, these these set pieces that the movie is very muted mm-hmm. um i think uh uh kent jones a critic i've mentioned before on the podcast he's described abel farrar's movies as new york toned down to a whisper mm. and to me this movie like i was like anytime i like a movie i'm like this movie's like a dream <laughs> and i hate that uh because that's too easy yeah and to me, this movie, it's almost like you're, the odd, it's from the vantage point of the dead watching the living and recognizing they're going to be, the living is going to be one of us soon. They're That's going to be dead too. Like that, it feels like there's, you're just observing something from a great distance. Yeah. Um, I got lost in my, in my poetic <laughs> meditation on
1: um, well, I kind of see that a little bit in terms of like, yeah, like we said, like like all of the detail, like the the sort of like the specifics
0: are out of it, and it's just like here's the color and the emotion, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the uh, what I was gonna say is like why does everybody love Frank White? You get yeah. that scene when the gang comes to meet him in his hotel, one of a scene that like I. I love this <laughs> this, this part yeah. where he's got uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Steve Buscemi and Giancarlo Esposito who we've seen kill some dudes and yep. we maybe are vaguely aware that they're working for him, mm-hmm. but they come to meet him in his hotel. He's in the plaza mm-hmm. and uh, there's like this tension in the room, yep. like heavy tension, like what's going to happen? And uh, there's like Frank White asks Lawrence Fishburne, like, what are you drinking there? And he goes root beer yeah and he like crushes the cup and he goes you want a little and you're like oh shit something's about to go down yeah and then just as the tension's about to break christopher walken amazing dancer breaks into like this like what <laughs> like yeah. wild dance yeah and everybody starts dancing with them and you're like what the fuck just <laughs> happened yeah and then it gets tense again yeah, because Christopher Walken's character is on another plane. Yeah. you never know what he's doing. Right, and because he's a dancer and an incredible actor, which we forget about all the time because mm-hmm. his eccentricities have come to define him. Yeah, it's like watching him like move through a scene is ninety percent of the fascination of this movie, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence Fishburne also incredible. Yes, yeah. like just a off the handle. Uh,
1: it's a it's a real performance. Yeah. I, he's like almost unrecognizable.
0: Yeah. And uh, just watching them. And it, the other set piece that sticks out to me that really underlines like the Robin Hood idea is he's on a train with his lawyer girlfriend <laughs> on a subway. Yep. He's feeling her up. And then these guys, these three guys come to mug him. Yeah. And he like shows him his gun. Yep. And... Then he throws them a wad of money because mm-hmm. he likes their initiative. And he's yeah. like, come find me at the Plaza Hotel. I have work for you. Yeah. And you're like, that's how he has this loyal, like that's how he's built this loyal following. Right. Um, it's a movie that's really about like power mm-hmm. and uh, and how this guy like approaches power and, and captures it kind of by the most direct but counterintuitive ways possible. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know. i well, I just I was, I was trying to look up that actor's name, but it's the it's the guy from Oz. Harold, and,
0: Harold Perrineau? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He was in Lost. He was uh, Walt. Is that
1: right? I, I'm, like, the one guy that didn't his, see Lost.
0: Yeah, well, his son is
1: Walt. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was definitely on the show, but I'm, like, the one guy that didn't see Lost. I don't really care. But, yeah, he was in that. He was uh, uh, Bravura-Turn as uh, Mercutio in uh, oh, the, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the Leo version of Romeo that and Juliet.
0: The Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Romeo Plus Juliet. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: yeah um I don't know man there's so much to talk about with this movie um uh, <laughs> yeah like just stylistically it's incredible um I mean like the the one thing uh how many times did I write in my notes um uh <laughs> yeah, because like like my my like my first like ten notes are like from the like the first five minutes of the scene. My first note was I I wrote young walking, and he, mm-hmm. he must have been in his forties, but like yeah, he's, it looks so young in this movie.
0: He's he's a beautiful guy. I don't think people really recognize that anymore. Yeah, he, in his peak was.
1: Yeah, oh, he's super creepy, but that he makes that what's what's the Woody Allen movie where he makes a real brief appearance and he's really it's, young? I think it's in Annie Hall. Annie Hall, yeah, Yeah, yeah that's yeah. her creepy brother. Right, yeah, 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 but he's yeah, handsome man in that. Um, yeah, and then so yeah, you said like he gets out of sing sing, and then it cuts to this other drug guy in a fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. The first guy that gets that gets yeah. it, um, and I just I wrote down <laughs> it's so great. I mean, this is it's like obviously like deliberately over top, but there's just like naked women draped everywhere mm. in that room, and I, I wrote down I need a woman draped over. A cocktail, half naked at all times, um, <laughs> uh, and then I wrote down. And I need those sunglasses to wear at night. Um, I don't even remember the first person to wear sunglasses, but it like for the rest of the movie, or I was Trish like.
0: Fishburne definitely has them on at one point. Yeah.
1: But it, yeah, but, but like that's only I mean, like two thirds of the people in this movie are wearing incredible sunglasses, like sunglasses I've never seen before. Mm. Like the note that like keeps going through my, uh, uh, that keeps popping up in my notes is like, what's what the sunglasses, these yeah. are incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people are wearing them inside or outside it during the night. Uh, yeah. I said, and I need those sunglasses to wear at night. And then he gets shot immediately. So I wrote down, maybe he would have seen that hit coming if he hadn't been wearing sunglasses at night. Um, I uh, like
0: that your notes are you making yourself yeah I'm like, a like having a little movie. dialogue yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a fun little find for me uh, I wrote down there was a lot of like because um, it struck me even in that opening sequence with him getting out of, out of Sing Sing and then pretty quickly as the movie getting, there was like a lot of like um, a lot of shots of like long, long shots of like down hallways and down streets and stuff mm. um, just sort of like a visual um, tick uh, <laughs> I don't even again I don't even know uh, who I was talking about but I said this probably was Lawrence Fishburne when I said best sunglasses of all time already um oh the tampons for the bullet holes oh my god what a great line um room service motherfuckers um i wrote down like uh yeah like i think i was like i finally like that the score caught my ear and i wrote down like operatic like the way everything's like kind of melodramatic yeah and there's like a classical score um i wrote down like his one one of um not his lawyer, but like his—he's got like those two ladies that are sort, that sort of in like his main like right hand people—the blonde and the and the yeah, black lady. Yeah. And I was like, the blonde is like a off-brand Kim Basinger. I was like, I wonder if they like tried to get Kim Basinger and couldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote down. Oh yeah, what's what's his name? What's Buscemi's name? Uh, test tube. Test tube. I was like, yeah. is is he playing Chicano?
0: I don't. I, you know, and this is gonna I just like just based on like the makeup of the rest say, of the crew. I don't want to say the movie is post racial or something, but it's like, it's,
1: there's something there. Cause it's like, you've got like the, um, well, I mean like a lot of the guys that, that, um, Frank ends up killing, like talk about how he like runs around with black guys and that's a bad yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but then the cops too, like, um, uh, Vincent Argo, um, and like, they make a point of like talking about his kinky hair, um, mm. and, and he's, oh, he, I
0: never thought about that, he's yeah. Puerto
1: Rican. And then you got David Caruso and, and Wesley Snipes, like a white guy and a black guy. It was like something about like, I think you're supposed to like, cause I don't think you're supposed to hate the cops, you know, no, no. Yeah. it's something about like, well, the bad people are the people that are racist. And there's something about this. Like you said, like it's in, the good guys are like the, the, the powerful people have gotten past it.
0: Yeah. I think that they, it could it could sound bad when you're like, oh yeah, it's Christopher Walken and he's got like this gang of black guys that work for him. But it's like, it doesn't feel weird. Yeah. Uh, And you know, maybe, maybe that's because the black characters are actually have personalities and are like, um, allowed to kind of really own the screen in the same way that Christopher Walken is. Um, yeah. That might have something to do with it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, I wrote down uh, run DMC hats. A lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of like uh, bowlers and, uh, and fedoras and stuff. Um,
0: Very much of the time.
1: Yeah. I wrote uh, Walken walk showing early uh, Rutger Hauer vibes. Like when he like, he, he kind of like lets it go a couple of times and I was like, wow, man, he's going for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something, yeah. What is that? Um, I wrote down the line: "You're all welcome to join." Yeah. Like it's like it's very like dramatic line reading that he gives.
0: He, his every line reading is kind of strange. Yeah. The way he, he everything in about his performance is strange.
1: Yeah, uh, and they introduced the cops like about a third of the way into the movie. It's, that seems right. It's a while before they introduce the cops, so I'm at to the point of my notes where I said, "Opening position, I don't like David Caruso," mm. <laughs> like as a person. <laughs> that's a. That's a. Like not his character, like David Caruso, the actor. Like yeah, I was like, yeah. based on what I know about David Caruso, I don't think I like him. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, uh, and then my next note by the wedding, I'm sure I hate David Caruso. Hmm. Uh, I think you're, I think you're maybe not supposed to like David Caruso's character in this
0: movie. It's he's, guess, he's just not, got that natural brashness yeah. where he's always a little off putting, but kind of exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, uh, I wrote
1: down, because um, this was like the second time they had cut to Bishop, who is Vincent Argo's character, the the, the head cop who's running the investigation. Um, the second time they cut to him on a computer. And, of course, it's like 1990, so it's like a black screen with green text. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a MS-DOS um, uh, operating system and I was like what is he doing on the computer like he's spending a lot of time at the computer and he's like just looking at at Frank's rap sheet mm-hmm. and it's it, it seemed like he was like puzzling something out but I was like what is it? it's like I guess it's just meant to show that he's like obsessed with right. with uh with Frank White but um uh yeah and then they go see the uh, the Asian crew and they're screening Nosferatu
0: yeah which uh Walken's vibe in the movie very vampiric yeah he's a nocturnal uh, creature um that that goes when you were talking about the sunglasses i was thinking about that oh and yeah uh, that that ties in with Ooh. this kind of vampiric vibe to everything
1: no one can stand the light yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh and what did they say they were going to screen right after that like frank starts walking out and they're like stick around we're screening uh oh i wish i could remember <laughs> i know but yeah i mean it's some other like classic horror film yeah uh, Frankenstein maybe. yeah 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 it yeah. was Frankenstein yeah stick around we Super screaming Frankenstein right, my next note seriously with the sunglasses um,
0: Watch watching Nosferatu at night smoking yeah. cigarettes watching sunglasses, <laughs> watching sunglasses yeah. wearing sunglasses
1: uh, my next note uh, if it's Fishburn v Snipes fish I got Fishburn yeah yeah um, uh, Performance spaces, fancy places, uh, harkening back to uh, uh, closer. There was like a lot of like performance halls. And Mm. I mean, it's obviously like Frank, like moving through high society and stuff. But I was like, there are a lot of like performance spaces. Just a lot of
0: interesting surfaces in general in it.
1: Um, yeah it was like that 90s like it was the height of that like coming out of the 80s into the 90s like everything was real baroque like a lot of like art deco mm-hmm. rococo stuff um which is funny and like i remember thinking at the time like all this fans i was like this this all looks dated but i was like this is funny like a lot of stuff you look at from the 90s you're like oh this looks dated and bad and you're like this looks dated but good and yeah I was like yeah. yeah expensive stuff always looks nice even when it's out of date <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a good, good call um uh i wrote down uh oh yeah fuck yeah lady hacker uh like turns out like they they cut to like frank with again the two ladies the blonde and the black lady and the black lady is on a computer and i was like yeah fuck yeah she's a hacker um again yeah like they're all fully fleshed characters yeah um <clears throat> uh, ladies and gentlemen freddie jackson i didn't really yeah. know freddie jackson before this yeah. but like it's very obvious he was like a real dude
0: I i read somewhere that they wanted him to lip sync the song yeah and he was so nervous about doing that that he almost backed out of the movie, and they just eventually let him sing it for real. But uh, that would have added such a, a odd vibe to that scene to have him be lip syncing the song that he sings. Yeah, it's at this political event where
1: yeah. a fundraiser uh, for the hospital,
0: right? And and Freddie Jackson, who I guess at the time was a pretty big star, comes out and, and does a number. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, yeah. He does this song called "Dream On," not Aerosmith's "Dream On," but his his version of "Dream." I think it's his song or a song that he
0: made famous. It might have been they might have wrote it for the movie. Could be. Um. I'm not sure, though.
1: But I love, like, he's, like, singing the song, and then, like, the there's, like, a there's like a curtain behind him, and the curtain goes up, and there's, like, a slide presentation showing, like, what the hospital could look like. Like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's talking, you know, like, he gives this great speech about, like, you know, when I grew up here, I was, like, my biggest dream was never coming back here again. And, like, now, I just want this place to be great. I want to, I, like, I want to come back here, mm-hmm. and I want kids to, to be proud of being here. And then he goes back into the song. I was, like, wow, he just, like, did that, like, That's fundraising true. pitch as a bridge to that song. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That, the scene kind of reminded me of something like, um, this, uh, the scene in, um, whenever somebody sings in a David Lynch movie where it's kind yeah. of like, this is creepy. Yeah. Um, just seeing Frank moving in high society and, yeah. and kind of this, like on the surface, a very wholesome event, but like just kind of knowing like it's built on like murder and, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's something about that that's. That really was uh, an uncanny to me, right?
1: So that's being televised, and uh, the cops are watching the television report at the bar. And my note here was just that, like Snipes had his guns on display. He had that great, like, uh, sort of greaser, like sleeve roll going on, and like his biceps were huge. Um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, yeah.
0: Uh,
1: oh, yeah. And then we got another great walk and dancing scene. Like he finally like breaks out and like dances for like a while. Yeah. Uh, just that they're like post-celebration uh, party. Uh, my next note awkwardly was so many boobies. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of boobs in this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah. And this is where we you were talking about like the um, – the great set piece, like this, like, I don't know what the, it's like. I, I always have this question about New York. Is this a real thing? Like, there's these like rundown places. Yeah, I like my note is literally candelabras and cracked plaster. Hmm. like they're like they're in some place that's like clearly like run down and probably abandoned but like used to be fancy or something yeah and like you see this like i saw, like there was like a scene like this in like uh succession the tv show that was on HBO. like i said was, 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 was like i was like is this a real thing that like there's like these like great halls that are run down and this now, is
0: where his his team is kind of uh the kind of their headquarters where there's that party scene yeah and the cops come in yeah 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 um i know what you're talking about it, it, It has, like, an abandoned warehouse vibe, but if an abandoned warehouse was a manor as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great location. Mm -hmm. This this movie, as you said before, full of great locations. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just curious. Uh,
1: this is like a thing that comes up all the time. I'm like, is that a real thing about New York? Or is this like New York alleyways? Like, have you read that thing? It like turns out there are no New York alleyways. No. <laughs> this is great. I'll have to I'll find, find the article and put it in show notes. But like, uh, uh, yeah, it turns out like there's like, there are like literally three alleys in New York and two of them for different reasons you can't shoot in. So literally every shot you've seen in an alley in a show set in New York is shot in the same alley. Wow. And that alley pretty much exists to have alley shots of it wow okay uh, yeah mind-blowing um anyway uh oh uh yeah canon and crack blaster oh true amazon sacrifice uh the cops come in and like that the uh, the the black lady the hacker like unflinchingly dives in front of um, they love frank White. yeah everybody yeah. like again it's like it's just assumed um but she like yeah no hesitation gives her life up for him she's like secret service loyal um, I wrote down, uh, uh I, I came out of the moment for a, a moment and wrote, can we get Abel some scribs, some squibs? Cause like, there's like all this gunfire and there's like five squibs. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, can we get, uh, clearly the guy's got some talent. Can we get him some squibs? <laughs> um, uh, oh, and then I wrote, um, and then, uh, yeah. Cause after that, um, they crossed the bridge. Um, like when he's running from the cops and they go across the, and I'm in New York geograph geography, idiot. I don't know what bridge that is, but they're going across one of the bridges. Um, And, uh, and I remembered like, it's like sort of a dramatic shot in the opening movie when he's crossing the bridge, when he's coming Mm. back from sing sing. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I wonder if this means something like this bridge crossing. It's like, you know, probably something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's going into hope and running away from hope or something. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, (laughs) at the funeral, I wrote Caruso looks like an evil elf. Uh, and then That's I wrote, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wrote F- fishburn's evil laugh rules. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. When, uh, uh, yeah. Um, was it Wesley Snipes is the, Oh yeah. Cause this is when like they're, when Caruso and Snipes are hunting fish in like that train yard. Oh yeah. Um, another and, great,
0: another great location.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Wesley Snipes is, is saying, uh, you want, you want a piece of chicken? I got a piece of chicken for you. Cause they had like this, this show, they like roughed up Lawrence Fishburne at that chicken place earlier in the movie. Yeah. So Fishburne finally like sneaks up on him and says, I got a piece of chicken here. You chicken eating motherfucker. <laughs> oh no, that was Snipes. That was Snipes' line. Yeah. He's like, you want some chicken? I got a piece of chicken here. You chicken eating motherfucker.
0: They really hate each other. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Him and, him and, uh, Snipes
1: has like five lines, but he's still like,
0: he's a, He's huge. a huge presence in the yeah. movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, but this is, like my, this is my only nitpick of the movie. They should have just flipped Caruso and Snipes. Because I wrote, Caruso getting Fishburne instead of Snipes is a fucking war crime. Yeah. Like, they should have just given all of Caruso's lines to Snipes and made Caruso the guy that had three lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I hate David Caruso so much, but I do. Uh, yeah, then I wrote down, we already talked about this, but I wrote down, what does this movie think about black and white relationships? Because it seems like it's saying something. Um, uh, and then I wrote, oh, Caruso at the funeral looks like he's 12 years old or he looks like Rick Astley. Um, <laughs> I said Frank saves them money by killing Caruso at the funeral so then they can just have one funeral.
0: Yeah. They don't have to have yeah. a whole another one. Just throw them. <laughs> roll out the bones.
1: Yeah, um, I wrote that. Yeah, then it, then it um, uh, or no, uh, yeah, and then uh, oh yeah, like New York, like there's, there was like several shots of like Frank looking wistfully at the New York skyline, and I was like, it's always in the distance. Yeah, that seemed like a yeah,
0: thing. yeah, because I mean, his ultimate ambition is to run, yeah, run the city. But it's like, but Manhattan
1: is like always like just out yeah. of reach or something. There's
0: the maybe the most iconic shot of the movie where he's looking out the hotel window near the beginning when and, the lights are like reflected. and the lights are reflected on the window. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Um, I, I'm almost at the end of my notes. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I wrote, I wrote down. There's the the climactic scene where Bishop, um, well, Frank is waiting for Bishop at his apartment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, I wrote down. Bishop sets his jaw approximately twelve times in that meeting. Like Frank has a line, and then they cut to Bishop, and he like steals his jaw mm-hmm. and like th- that just happens in a loop like 12 times frank has a line and bishop sets his jaw and i was just like i don't know just caught my lines. like that's all he can do is like set his jaw
0: angrily that's victor argo's whole acting uh <laughs> acting which is through. plenty just yeah. plenty um uh it just always looks like he has heartburn yeah <laughs> yeah or like an ulcer
1: yeah uh, and then I wrote down, like, the, um, uh, this had, happened several times in the movies, but, like, it occurred to me to, to note it here, was that they they use gunshots, like, sort of, like, dramatic flourishes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of those, like, sort of people just, like, firing a gun is, like, an exclamation point.
0: As, as in uh, the previously mentioned point break. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, One exactly. One of the great scenes of that in cinema.
1: Or Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah. Um, oh,
0: shit. <laughs> yeah. It's this a, is a subgenre. This, this
1: is a thing that all great directors know. Yeah. Um, Catherine Bigelow. Uh,
0: um, Baz Lerman. Baz Lerman and Abel Fryer. I will say one of those is not like the other. <laughs> and, a, you know, Catherine Bigelow after Point Break.
1: Uh... You know my favorite line about this. Huh. I always say Point Break from Academy Award winning director Catherine Bigelow. Yeah.
0: Well, I. She didn't I, win for Point Break. <laughs> I mean, you you kind of talk down on it a little bit. I think it's a legitimately great movie.
1: It's a great action movie. The yeah. story is ridiculous, the performances sure. are g- ridiculous in a great way, but it's, it's a very well made
0: movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. She's an incredible director, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,. Uh, (laughs) sex and showdown on the subway that's when I wrote it because the finale is is on the subway and I was like there was sex and the showdown on the subway the subway is like a a key location in this movie
0: as as it should be in anything about New York
1: there was really cool sound design there. Like the rail screeches. It's like, what do you call that? Like a diegenic sound,
0: diegetic,
1: diegetic sound. And it was like, this was diegetic sound, but it was also clearly functioning as score. Like mm-hmm. the rail screeches were like happening, like at sort of like a rhythm, mm-hmm. uh, but they were like uh diegetic. I was like, oh man, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> Frank and Bishop both have the same temple vein. Uh, <laughs> they show it pointedly on Bishop lots of times, but then at the end of the movie, Frank has, it's like the same place, like yeah. the, on the temple, the vein is popping out. Um, Oh, yeah, when he's going out of the subway, I was like, that's a great shot of like, because it's it's shot through the bars as he's going up the staircase into the night. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, he comes out and it's like he like it's that shot um, through the bars, um, him ascending the staircase into the night. And I guess like he walks out into Times Square because then it cuts to like a close up. Of the big Coca-Cola sign in Times Square. And it says, enjoy Coca-Cola. And I just wrote down, enjoy Coke, like Jimmy Jump. Because Jimmy mm-hmm. Jump pointedly several times, talks about how he likes soda. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrote down, rosary, rosary on the taxi review. And that's the last note. I mean, like, that's kind of the end of the movie. But that was the last note I took. Because, like, the last sort of, like, the, like, the literal, like, the last, like, Whatever that is, like three minutes of that movie are just like,
0: whoa! Yeah, um, like
1: nothing happens, but it's insane. Like it's like so intense.
0: That's a very uh, well. Abel Ferrara is kind of a. That was definitely the conflicted Catholicism phase of his career. He's he's uh, he made Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, uh, which I've never. seen. This is my first
1: Abel Ferrara movie. About oh
0: wow yeah. There's some there's some really great ones out there. Yeah. Um but he. I think bad Lieutenant's ending is, is a little similar. Um, yeah, yeah he's, he's, um he's a filmmaker that I think people talk about a lot with kind of Martin Scorsese as if he's like, his like little brother or something. Mm-hmm. Um, to the New York tie and like the, I was and the Catholicism of... and, oh, yeah. and kind of, uh, interest in the world of violence. Although Abel Ferrara like Scorsese has, has covered a lot of, uh, subject matter. Um, but he's, he's a more abstract director. Um, yeah. He, he worked on the Miami Vice TV show, which I don't say that... A, I mean, some of that maybe comes through in this mm-hmm. um, with kind of its uh, uh, neon colors and, and uh, the mix of seediness and glamour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Abel, Abel Ferrara, like the, he's one of these directors that I think like the French, there are people that would argue like, oh, he's like the best American director. Yeah, and, that tracks. And... and, and he now basically just makes movies in Italy where he lives. Huh. And, uh, you know, he's famously, um, you know, struggled uh, with drugs and was like a crack uh-huh. addict at one point and making okay. movies. But he, there's a great Conan appearance of him fucked up on Conan smoking cigarettes <laughs> in the 90s. Yeah. That if you haven't seen, uh, I suggest all the listeners go home and listen to it. Okay, cool. Another or one watch the, that. Um.
1: Another one for the show notes
0: um i i have a a book about abel ferrara uh, that i have not read but i read the chapter on king of new york it's called the moral the moral vision Mm. uh, by uh, brad stevens and this to me like puts it so great like what walken is doing in the movie which is um this is what he says the film thus becomes a game between frank white slash christopher walken and the motion picture camera a game these two evenly matched opponents play for the highest stakes imaginable. And this is referring to kind of like Christopher Walken is always looking at the camera Mm -hmm. and like facing off against the camera, and you're just left with kind of his expressions. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on a little later to say, Select a scene at random and study the details of Walken's performance. Even by attending to no more than his facial gestures... Uh, we find the visible thoughts and emotions changing at something like the speed of light while remaining at best only tentatively linked with the situation at hand, indicating a realm no one else has or will be given access to. Like, just like he is truly otherworldly in in this movie.
1: Um, Yeah, that that was... was um this is just like a sort of just recapping the movie, but it was also like, it was dramatic to me. Like the, the, the Robin hood nature of his ambitions, I think was like revealed, like two thirds of the way through the movie. Like for a while, you're just like, he's a big, it's not even really like clearly revealed until that scene where he's at Bishop's apartment. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like it, the, the story is consistent with his story as he lays it out. Like, he's like, Oh yeah. He, you, like you realize as he's saying, it's like, Oh yeah. He's only ever shot bad guys. Yeah. Um, uh but like it's it, the key it seems like they they of they sort of kept it like if not hidden like close to the vest, and then it's like revealed in that scene he like lays everything out,
0: yeah, but he's also there's that thing about i mean he's he is a drug dealer, you know he's yeah. like. It's not. Well,
1: that's that's a great cuz that's the one where it's like it turns it from like um, sort of like sappy sentimental to like just like hard realism. Yeah. Yeah, where you, like I mean there's like it's just like can we just please play that like in congress like forever where he's like I'm not your problem. Like <laughs> he's like you, you kill me it's going to do nothing. Like mm. I didn't bring the drugs here. I don't make people do drugs. Mm. I'm a businessman. <laughs> and it, it, that's like the best take on the drug problem ever. I'm not your problem. <laughs>
0: mm. Yeah. Uh, I I I i love this movie i loved it it more this time um it was really good yeah uh, if people are looking for other abel ferrara stuff his he's got an early uh rape revenge movie called miss 45 that's uh great uh bad lieutenant along more along the lines of this one corrupt cop movie yeah like criminally
1: well i don't know if it's criminally but i've seen i've seen bad lieutenant port of call new Orleans, which i know is um
0: it's, it's a different director. Yeah, Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Yeah. But I, I've
1: seen that one and not
0: the original. Well, both are good. Yeah. Uh, good. But yeah, I, I prefer the original. And then uh, uh, Dangerous Game he made after Bad Lieutenant, which is um, Madonna playing an actress who falls in love with a director. And it's a lot of uh, you don't know what's a movie and what's outside the movie. Another Harvey Keitel one playing Abel Ferrara, basically. Okay. Um yeah all all great films cool and, and he's really i you can't go wrong with a lot of his stuff he he definitely gets more abstract as he goes along though
1: yeah based on this like i would definitely like seek out more of his work this is this I mean, this is like <laughs> unequivocal uh totally can recommend and because it, it's also like you said like french like i get why french people would like like this because yeah i mean it's like very reminiscent of new wave stuff but it's like it's more like we, you might be overselling. Like it's still like pretty narrative. It's not oh, like, yeah, um, yeah, it's like very watchable. Um,
0: uh, yeah, this is. I think it was a cult favorite for a while. Yeah.
1: Um, well, you said last week, uh, supposedly it was Notorious B.I.G.'s favorite movie. Yeah, he, which he tracks. calls
0: himself the Black Frank White. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: I just like to think he's a huge fan of the Pixies, but. Yeah. <laughs> That probably makes more sense, um oh yeah, the the only other way so like sort of like scanning his career like literally like scanning on i m d b this looks like his one big shot in terms of like the cast and everything um this seems like he kind of like built up and then like he, this was his big shot, and then the drugs or something
0: else um kind of I would say that this is maybe his biggest movie um I can't think of oh he did um he did a studio uh remake of. Uh, the invasion of the body snatchers. That's oh. pretty good. Cool. Um, oh, know, wait. Is that the one? I might have seen that one. With uh, Forrest Whitaker's in it. Yeah, this yeah, was, yeah, yeah, uh, early and, 90s. Um, the yeah. 90s. the guy from another guy from Oz, the guy who plays the warden of. Shit.
1: <laughs> this is. But also, but like, I think Donald Sutherland, right?
0: No, no. That's that's the 70s one.
1: Oh, uh, which is.
0: Yeah. Okay. Which is uh, very good as well.
1: But okay, but I definitely saw. I saw the Forest Whitaker one. I'm just like confused. I, I
0: can't. Something. I'm drawing blanks on who all was in it. The old guy. But yeah. Anyway. Um. But uh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I think this. It, I think this movie was funded by Sir uh, Silvio Berlusconi, the, <laughs> the Italian. Uh, cool. Future Italian president. And uh, I think the reception of this. Apparently, somebody asked him at the first showing. They were like, "Are you gonna?" Like, why don't you donate the proceeds proceeds of this movie to to like anti drug charities or something? <laughs> you know? Like, it was basically like this is immoral. Like, which seems really crazy to me. Weird. Um, but you
1: know. <laughs> I don't think the movie is saying that Frank White is a good guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's definitely more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah, like a I, lot
1: of the Robin Hood takes, people like,
0: well, this is, this is
1: a problematic. Moral message it's like, I don't think it's a moral movie. I <laughs> <yeah, yeah. laughs> Think it's a serial.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Any other, any other thoughts
1: on it? Uh, no. D- d- if you, if, if you like, uh, me up until today have not seen it, uh, yeah, definitely
0: check it out. It's gets, gets Beautiful. S- stealing in the Dan seal of approval. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Two thumbs up. This is like, yeah. this is, it's just the, well, no, no. Cause like the, the Cohen brothers, we were, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For our, our opening episode, um, uh, we, we came out, uh, strong and then, uh, uh,
0: the other two movies were interesting uh, On for Dirty Work.
1: Well, I'm starting to feel like I am becoming like the... Uh, anyway, we're going to get to this shortly. Talking about next week. Oh, oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, next week, uh, we'll be on to uh, track four.
0: Oh, do we do we want to do what's good? Do we do that before? Oh no no! Thank
1: you for bringing it up because I actually have like a great one for what's good.
0: Okay, well then let me ask you a question, Scott. <laughs>
1: okay, what could you possibly want to know? Uh,
0: since last we spoke, what's what's good? <gasps> oh my
1: goodness! I can't believe you asked. Thank you. Um, uh, weirdly, uh, it just jumped in mind. Um, so I've been reading. Um, are you familiar with Cory Doctorow, the writer? Uh, know the name? Yeah, he's the
0: historical fiction.
1: Uh, no, sci-fi. Okay. Um, he's an editor for Boing Boing, um, okay. and he, he writes a lot about, um, like, some of his passion projects are, like, intellectual property and stuff like that, but he's also a sci-fi writer, and, like, I think he's, he's made a name for himself in writing, like, near-term sci-fi, mm. um, where it's, like, this is, like, sci-fi that's, instead of being 100 years in the future, it's, like, three years in the future. It's, okay. like, a very slight exaggeration on where we are, and, like, this, so he just released a new book that's called Radicalized. It's four novellas collected. Um, and these are like, like, these are literally set like three, like could be three weeks in the future. It's like these ones are, it's, and he has this quality a lot. Like he, um, one of the very early short stories I read of his was like a story about like a guy that figures out how to make a computer interface for the human body so that you can literally like program your body. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, uh, it. they blew my mind. Cause like, as a guy who's like struggled with weight, um, uh, you know, the guy is just like, there's no reason, like your body could just burn fat it could like you could eat whatever you wanted and your body could just turn it into heat and, and and radiate heat it's like it's saving the fat because it thinks you're gonna starve like if we could give instructions to the body like you know like your body's just dumb you know yeah. it doesn't do anything until you like break it like the only reason you get bigger muscles is because you break your muscles the only reason you get like better at running is because you run until you can't run anymore you know yeah. uh, so it's just, like it, he has a lot of these things where like he like imagines this like beautiful future that's like it's like painful how close it is okay. uh, but this is actually sort of the flip of that. That. It's like these stories are all very dark. um I mean, like, not well, the I
0: mean, title alone. Yeah. It uh, sounds like that. So the.
1: The the first story is like classic Cory Cory Doctorow. It's called Authorized Bread, and it's about a a, a Syrian um, refugee who's like stumbled, um, like bounced around. I uh, like you know I think from from Syria to Greece, and then from Greece she makes it to the United States by herself. Her parents like try to catch up with her, and they die like on the trip over. Um, and, and she makes it to this um, uh, refugee program, and then like things like you know she has a rough go of it. And this is all like the, the very like preface sort of, um, but. she she has a rough go, but but she makes it to they they resettle her in Boston and she gets placed in this uh, um, subsidized like this brand new uh, apartment building that they built. And of course, like, you know, the, to to be able to build the apartment building, they had the developer had to like a lot, a certain number of units as like subsidized or, um, you know, uh, income indexed. Um, so she gets one of those. So it's like, oh, everything's great. But like all of her appliances, like everything has DRM, like her toaster has DRM so that like she has to buy bread from the delivery company. Uh, DRM. Uh, sorry, digital rights management. This is like okay. r- remember like the early days of iTunes when like
0: kind
1: of. you could like MP3s you could play anywhere you wanted. Right. But like if you bought the song on iTunes, you could oh, only play yeah, at certain places, okay. right? Yeah. And this is like gone now. Gone from music. Like Napster broke this. Um But like DRM is still a thing, like uh I'm trying with the common ones. I mean, like it's still a big thing in video games. Like, uh, th- not everybody does it, but the, the people that do it, it's like it's it's like being rude to your customers so that like to to prevent piracy. And, right. Uh, anyway, but like so it's like yeah, like the, she has to buy the bread from like authorized bread vendors. So you you're like you're paying extra and all this stuff. And like she can't just like bake bread. Like her oven only works if like she buys the bread from the right places. And like all of her appliances, like her dishwasher, like only accepts the right kind of dishwashing <laughs> detergent and only washes the right kind of dishes. Okay. Um, uh, so like that one may not resonate with you if you don't like follow the DRM drama that much. But like, it's again, it's like, this could be a month from now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then her, and then like, uh, the, uh, but like, anyway, like all the stories are like that. Um, and it's four of them and like, I, like I don't read that much. Like I always aspire to read and then I don't get around to it. Same. Yeah. But yeah. I am like tearing through this book. God, like cool. burning, burning, burning through it. Yeah. Ra-
0: radicalized, by Rad- Doctor. radicalized by Corey. Radicalized by Cory Doctor. Cool. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, uh, well, while we're on the subject, uh, Joe, if you would be so kind, could you tell me what's good?
0: Um, well, uh, I, in a rare uh, event, have finished a book in the past Ooh. week. Um, a short book that took me shamefully long to read, but yeah. it was it was pretty good. Uh, it's uh, Charles Williford, the crime author. He may be best known for his uh, movie adaptation of Miami Blues. As one of his novels, it's uh, got Alec Baldwin in it as a as a criminal shithead, and Fred Ward as a toothless detective tracking him down. Man, I know nothing about this. That's... Uh, sounds it incredible. Out, it came out in 1990. It's 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 good. It's worth looking into. Yeah. Um He also uh, wrote a book called Cockfighter, which was turned into an excellent movie in the 70s with war Oates, but. Uh, he this book the burnt uh, that i read is called the burnt orange heresy and it's about an art critic who will basically go to any lengths to further his career as an art critic cool um it's it's a quick read or it should be for people who have attention spans uh i also rewatched the wolf of wall street last night okay uh, for the first time since it came out and uh We'll we'll go to bat for that as one, probably Great one movie. of the best comedies of the past twenty, twenty five years. Great um movie. and and just like it's like lightning, man. Yeah. It just like Scorsese always has an incredible rhythm to his movies, but this one is just like it flies by. Yeah. And uh maybe my the big scene that everybody loves is the Qualude uh comic mm-hmm. set piece, yeah. comic nightmare set piece. Right. Um, I a smaller moment earlier in the movie that I think is beautifully done is there's a scene where Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio are getting to, getting to know each other uh, across the table, and uh, uh, they address the rumors that Jonah Hill's been sleeping with his cousin or is married to his cousin, and he totally owns up to it. Yeah. Because uh, she's my cousin. I should get to fuck her. <laughs> like everybody else wants to fuck my cousin, it's, it should be me. And then he goes, I got, I got a present for you, man. And Leonardo DiCaprio is like, what is it? And he's like, we got to go back for it. And they go, and the present is that they're smoking crack behind the restaurant. And there's this great pan over, like, they, they smoke the crack, and then they're like, we got to run around like lions, tigers, and bears. And the camera pans over as they run away, and you realize it's daytime. <laughs> it's the middle of the day and yeah. these two wall street guys are smoking crack yeah behind like an applebee's or something yeah yeah um just full of great moments like that that's so good the so. McConaughey thing apparently that's something he actually does yeah like that's like an actual mcconaughey thing which i totally believe um the only comedy i could think of recently that has come close in terms of like just um greatness like actually shooting for something um is is the recently released Beach Bum, also starring Matthew McConaughey? Oh yeah, I'm seeing uh, that. The Harmony Korine movie. Yeah, another great uh, story of hedonism and the uh, inherent self-seeking nature of the American dream. Yeah, uh, if you guys haven't seen that, uh, watch the Beach Bum. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, cool. Uh, but yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, Burned Orange, Heresy by uh, Charles Williford. Good shit. Nice. So let's talk about next week. Let's talk
1: about next week. Let's talk about the track four. Can't buy a thrill. Uh, Midnight Cruiser. Yeah. Say uh, hello once again to uh, Jim Hotter. Hotter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jim Hotter, the drummer. Um, uh, doing Vokes. Back on Vokes, Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: um, yeah. Um, what do you What do you got for me this, <laughs> this
1: time? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, like, I swear to God, I'm not doing this as like a bit. Like, I'm not trying um, to be like, I'm not trying to like mystery science theater you. Okay. Oh no! <laughs> I'm not trying to be TV. I'm spray. giving you gifts,
0: Scott.
1: <laughs> I hope you will find this one. Like I don't like this is not a good movie. I, 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 I this is not a good movie, but I think it's an interesting movie. Okay, like this that, is a, that's all I ask. Okay, like <laughs> you pushed it this week. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. Like, just yeah. Like, g- give me one more week, and and uh, uh, if 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 uh, if this is as painful as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, then I will I will like try to find like good movies. But I well, think, I don't know. We'll no, see.
0: I I want you to bring what you're gonna bring. Don't, okay. don't Try to don't try to please okay. me.
1: <laughs> I'm very nervous about this. It's uh, more fun when I don't like it. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I have picked to go along with Midnight Cruiser uh, right. is the 2000 film Duets starring um
0: is it gwyneth paltrow yeah gwyneth paltrow
1: and huey lewis and paul giamatti and andre brower okay (laughs) um (laughs) uh it's a bizarre movie it is like well it's up there with robin hood in terms of like who thought this was a good idea okay uh the the karaoke movie uh but um i i enjoy it I don't know. Okay. I don't know why. I don't think it's good. Uh uh I make no case for it. Okay. Uh, but that's... I think it's interesting. And I think it's got I like I legitimately like again, it like it came to mind when I thought about this song. It... I think it's interesting and worth talking
0: about. Okay. Yeah. That's all the cool that's all it needs to okay. be. I'm just saying um, like I'm,
1: I'm not doing this as a goof. Like, I want
0: make Joe watch bad movies. Yeah. Uh, um and I'm not doing this as a goof. <laughs> I got another... Turnabout is It's, it's not super obscure. It was recently released by Criterion, so it's like, it's out there. Yeah. Um, but mine is going to be, uh, it's uh, it's got a Mike Nichols connection because it's by his old partner, Elaine May. Okay. And it is her 1976 movie, Mikey and Nicky, anti, anti-buddy movie starring uh, John Cassavetes and Peter Falk. Cool. Um, a huge Peter Falk fan. Yeah, well, he he's
1: he's Peter Falking it up in this.
0: He's he's, he's fucked Falk, up. He's Falk Falk in this. <laughs> he's, all, he's all fucked up. Yeah, um, I, I'm stoked to get. I'm stoked to get fucked up. And this may be another case where it's something that I just wanted to rewatch that only bears a tenuous connection to what we're talking about. But yeah. uh,
1: if it's as fun as uh, as uh, King of New York, I'm on.
0: Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> that I feel like
1: be. I feel like we're setting this up so like we said like the last episode of this podcast, like regardless of how far we get in the discography, the last episode is the one where we look at each other and realize that green earrings is our favorite song. Yeah. And that is also the episode where like you make me watch Stalker and I make you watch I don't know, like Porkies or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: That would hey, that would probably
1: make a great episode. Or no, like fifty shades of gray. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So look forward to the Green Earrings, Fifty Shades of Grey Stalker episode. But until then, yes. uh, listen to Midnight Cruiser. Uh, listen to or uh, watch, um, sorry, Mikey and... Mikey and Nikki. Mikey and Nikki and watch uh, duets. Yeah. Uh, right. And always uh, w- the last thing before we, uh, we get out. Oh, yes. Uh, Producer Dakota, uh, what did you learn about Steely Dan this week? Um, this week, uh, I actually remembered... That I knew a Steely Dan song. Nice. And I really, really liked it. So I was like looking it up and I couldn't quite find it. And then it turns out I was looking up Out of Touch by Hall & Oates. (laughs) 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 On that note, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week.